Hello, and welcome back to a very special episode of Stories from the Bowen Building. For this episode, we interviewed residents of Bartonville, where the hospital was located. We spoke to Mayor Leon Ricca and Fire Chief Mike Cheatham. But first, we'll join our interview with former Village Board member Bob Lawless. Um, okay, so today we are talking with Robert Lawless about what it was like growing up here in Bartonville when the Peoria State Hospital was uh, around and open. And Bob, can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up in Bartonville? Yeah, I'm back in the old homestead. Uh, grew up at uh, top of the hill in Garfield. Moved back here after a sub- sabbatical in Glassford for about 30 years. I decided I wanted to come back. and Unfortunately, they let me back in town. Unfortunately, I yeah, love and it. And they've people have regretted that, but oh. I'm back. I'm here to stay. So that was I was born in '50. No, that's 1950, 1950. and uh, still around to still around to cause havoc. Were you when you were a child? Were you in Bartonville? Yes, I was. Yep. And you lived at the top of the hill. I lived at the top of the hill on Garfield. On Garfield, okay. And um, great place to grow up, you know, in the in the fifties and the sixties. Bartonville was uh, like Leave It to Beaver all over again. It was a great place to grow really? up. Really, wow. And uh, great neighborhood, great neighbors, and still have great neighbors. So uh, it's been never regretted coming back after living out in the country for a while. It's convenient. It's got all the conveniences here. Great street department, great fire department, great police department. So what was it like growing up as a kid in Martinville with the Peoria State Hospital? Well, if I could, if I could take a sidetrack here just a sure. little bit. First of all, the state hospital was, was quite a establishment. It was a city within a city, a village within a village. Unfortunately, it's gone, and those type of facilities are needed, but they're few and far between. Being a city in a city, it had its own fire department, had its own boiler house, store. Um, 63 buildings, I believe, encompassed the state hospital. Yeah, there were several. And if I could get back to the boiler house for a second, my father built the house I live in that grew up in and, and currently in, in 1950, which was the year that I was born. He also stayed. He also started work at Peoria State Hospital in 1950 as a steam fitter, pipe fitter. Oh wow! And to parallel that with the boiler house, the whole state hospital is uh, was when it was built um, had steam tunnels, an elaborate zone of steam tunnels all through it, which provided the steam and the heat for the buildings, for the patients, and the, also to the kitchens and also to the laundry facilities. So his priority, his job, his responsibility was to keep the steam on that was provided from that powerhouse to make sure everybody had heat, that the kitchen had steam, that the laundry had steam. And with that, he was there for, from like 1950 to 1964. And so I heard a lot of stories at the dinner table did you? Okay. Um, to follow that up a little bit, I had a paper out that I was privileged to have a paper out in the state hospital. And we'll get back to that in a minute. But uh, he taught me a lot about the state hospital just from the conversations at the dinner table and his experiences because he lived it every day. So the hospital was tremendous grounds. It was just 
the pleasure to have that in Bartonville. You know, some people were concerned. While I had the paper out there, I was never had a problem. I never had an issue with any of the uh, residents, never had an issue. But one thing I did do was my father, at the time, smoked Pall Malls, which was a non-filtered cigarette, heavy duty. And he had a, he had a situation to where there were, there were buildings there, there were some residents that were a little bit uh, spirited. So he would always carry those cigarettes with him and give him a couple, give someone a couple cigarettes to tone them down and, you know, befriend them, if you will. And he would also carry some candy with him. So I made it a, I made it a commitment that in my paper bag, I would steal a pack of my dad's cigarettes and I would have a pack of cigarettes in my paper bag <laughs> and I would have a bunch of Hershey Kisses. <laughs> okay. So that if I ever did have an issue, I could maybe diffuse it with either tobacco products or candy, which I only had to once with him on each occasion. But uh, it was an experience. The paper out was an experience. Um, I was probably 14 when I got the paper out, and I had a previous paper out that I had, that I had uh, Garfield, and I had uh, Garfield area and Burdage Street and everything. But it was nothing like the paper out I had at the hospital. The paper out at the hospital, I think I had probably 75 to 80 papers. It wasn't a big route. There was one time when the, my route manager met me and said, you know, you've got the highest complaints of anybody that I take care of for not getting their newspapers. And I said, I do. And he said, yeah. And then he proceeded to chastise me a little bit. And I said, can I get you to go on the route with me one morning? And he said, well, sure. So I took him on the route. Well, at 6 o'clock in the morning, everything's pretty well quiet and battened down. The residents are still waking up. Where most of the papers were delivered were in dormitories, which had a long hallway. You had rooms right across from each other, and you didn't dawdle. Once you got inside, you dropped the papers where they were supposed to go, and you kept moving. 6 o'clock in the morning, there's nobody there but you, a 14-year-old kid, you know. Behind you, you would hear a door open and close, but it wasn't where you dropped the paper. It was across the hall. <laughs> and you'd walk down the hall, and you'd hear the door open and close, open and close, open and close. You might have 10 papers in that hallway. Maybe only three of them made it to where you dropped it. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. So after the tour, um, and my manager, who was an old guy, he was probably 19, 20 years old. Old guy. He was an old guy. <laughs> After, after our little tour there, and he saw what was happening, he said, I won't, he said, I won't question you again. You're doing fine, kid. You're doing just fine. No, I, I was never, I never had any real problems there. It was more like a family place. It was very congenial. The people were congenial. The ones that were out on the grounds, a lot of them were different. They were, some of them were a little confused. But I never run into a, a hostile one, you know, in my 11 months as a paper carrier. The downside of it was collection day. And I'm going to date myself here because back then the paper boy had a little spiral ring notebook that he would tear off little tickets when you would pay your paper bill. You'd give him a little receipt, which was like a one-by-one one ticket, and they would give you the dollar twenty-nine or whatever it was, and you'd give them a ticket so you knew that they'd paid. But when you're going down that dormitory hallway and you knock on a door, you never know quite who's going to answer it or how they're going to answer it or what 
clothing they had that day available to them. <laughs> so at 14 years old, it was an experience. <laughs> and, and sometimes, sometimes a little bit more than you expected. <laughs> and uh, but it was, like I say, the grounds were well kept. They had a tremendous maintenance staff there. And of course, my father was one of them. But they had pipe fitters, plumbers, electricians, carpenters. I think at one time, and I did, I did a little look up here this morning. It looked like between in the 50s, which dates me a little bit, there was like 2,800 patients or residents at State Hospital. That's not counting the staff. So that's, that's, a, that's a lot of folks. One thing I'm going I'm to challenge you on, <laughs> can you, do you know what the history a little bit of Alpha Park slash Abbott Center slash the farm was? Do you have any idea what the farm was? Um, I was always told that this was the land that the library now is on was a dairy farm. And then the Abbott Center was next to the Kwanzaa Hut was where they had their school. Okay. But that's about all I know. Well, I'm going to enlighten you a little. Okay. Okay. And this comes from, I had to look it up this morning because I remember stories from my father going to the hog farm. Ah. And where the uh, park is now was a farm. And it was a hog farm and a cattle farm. The residents worked on that farm. They had four, they were, they would run 400 fog, hogs at that farm. And the hogs would do two things. They would clean up the, the remaining lunches and so forth from the cafeterias. But they would also be slaughtered for food at the state hospital. So that was uh, Abbott Center, which my note here has opened in 51 and closed in 67. The hog farm was prior to that, the hog and the cattle farm. And they also had gardens. This corner that we're sitting on here was a working farm for the state hospital. Wow. And like you said, there, there was two of them, my understanding. There was two of them, and this was one of them here. And I do remember Dad taking me for a tour and showing me where the hog farm was and where they, you know, that was something that... And you haven't really heard about or, you know, you you were, you were guys were aware of it, you know, but uh, it was quite an establishment. I mean, it, quite an establishment to produce a lot of your own food for the state hospital. Yeah, they were self-sustaining and they, it's absolutely amazing. They were definitely a, a town within a town. And yes, the um, barn that we use for public works now, that was one of the old barns. So that makes sense that, yeah, that the, I always knew that dairy farm was kind of over here, but. I didn't realize there was a hog farm. So do you think where Alpha Park is now, the actual park, that was all farmland? I think that was farmland. And if I remember, the hog farm was behind where the Abbott Center was. So that was part of the hog farm. Yeah. And as part of his duties as a pipe fitter, he would have to go over to the hog farm and do some work on some of the pipe fitting over there too. They were hand in glove, if you will. Yeah. A lot of the folks we talked to, did talk about the um, the patients worked as part of their therapy. And they said it was one of the best things for them because it gave them a purpose. Yeah. It's quite a place to go, you know, riding your bicycle around in the state hospital at 14 delivering papers. Had its moments. <laughs> well, yeah, because one of the things that we did want to hear about was, you know, the memories that you have of the Peoria State Hospital and what comes to mind when you think of it. And, you know, if you picture that in your mind, do you remember what the gardens look like and... Um, we've heard lots of stories about how the grounds were so beautiful and well-kept. and Absolutely. It was beautiful. Very park-like. 
there was one incident, and I can't remember when it was, but there was a, on the river, there was a barge, and I can't remember when it was. I was probably 12 years old, something like that, when an ammonia barge ruptured on the Illinois River. And ammonia is a horrible thing. Yeah. Takes your breath away, it'll kill you. Mm-hmm. And you could smell it on top of the hill. The fire sirens were going off and everything. So Dad gets us out of bed. Where do we go? We go to the firehouse up at the state hospital. Why, I don't know, but it seemed like a place to go. Seemed like a good spot. <laughs> yeah. We were safe up at the firehouse at the state hospital. Wow. But that was that was a very scary thing for the residents of Bartonville because they were evacuating. Wow, yeah. It was an ammonia barge that ruptured down there on the river, and prevailing winds carried it up into the village. Ugh, that sounds awful. Yep. Do you remember, I've heard, and I, we've asked everybody this question that we've had in here. We, I have heard when I first got here, because I didn't grow up here, that there was an alarm that would sound whenever a patient would get lost. Um, do you remember if there was any kind of alarm that went off? I'm thinking that there was. Really? I'm thinking okay. that there was. You would, see, you would see the residents from time to time, but sometimes they'd be missing one, knowing what... Uh, you know, they were limited, some some of them, with their capacity. Mm-hmm. they just wander off. And it was as much, a, I believe it was as much of a letting people know that that uh, someone's out there wandering around and, and uh, could be subject to getting hurt or hurting someone. Yeah, just watch for them. And- yeah. yeah, we were down by, uh, a couple of us kids were down in the, in the timber behind, between Keystone and the State Hospital, and there was a couple of them in those woods. And we came upon them, and they were they were just out for a stroll. But when you're a young kid, I was probably eight or ten years old. When you see a couple adults, you know, in the woods there, then you know that you're on the boundary of the hospital. You get get alarmed, so we took off. But they were they were just out for a stroll in the woods, just like we were. Growing up, I never had an issue with anybody. That seems to be the common thread. Um, you know, the when Dr. Zeller started or came here and was was the head of the hospital, he brought in the compassion, and it has stayed. It stayed all the way through to the end, is what we we have learned. Mm-hmm. But it, it was patients and and the the people who worked there, and they became a family. Yeah, I was I was uh, reviewing some an old uh, movie this morning from from State Hospital. To where on 4th of July, they would bring the residents out and they'd have a celebration. Oh, wow. And they would have kids performing. And uh, they'd do the same thing on Halloween. Halloween was an interesting one because they'd, the residents would make their own costumes. Oh, wow. And parade around and, and uh, in their own costumes. And it was an old black and white video, but uh, shows you that, uh, you know, they weren't sequestered to their rooms and, and you know, they weren't mistreated. You know, they, they were treated very well for Zeller had it together. He had it together. Yeah. One of the things that has come out of this podcast that we hadn't expected was kind of an advocacy towards for the mental health issue that we have going on today, that there, that there was such a great system in place over the years, and then it kind of went away, and now we feel like, I don't know that we feel like, but we, we're hearing that there seems to be a, a need for it again. There always has been. I mean, that, that's not gone away. You know, it's, it's regretful that we don't have more facilities like what we had here in Bartonville. Mm-hmm. Very regrettable. There's a lot of hurting people out there that just, uh, 
aren't getting the proper attention that they need and, and uh, respectful attention. We will now turn to our interview with Mayor Leon Ricca for his perspective on the Peoria State Hospital. So basically we're just gonna kind of talk about the Peoria State Hospital, what you remember. Um, did you grow up here in Bartonville? I did on Jefferson Street off of Franklin. And so you've lived here all your life then? All my life. Wow, okay. Other than about one year when I lived, when I was single, I lived in Peoria Heights. Oh, but other than that, it's other than been that, Bartonville. Been 67 to 68 years, yes. Wow, all right. And did you live close to the Peoria State Hospital? Yes, we did. Uh, there's woods at the end of our court and those woods go down to McGowan Street, and then McGowan, which is the Keystone parking lot. Okay. On uh, across the street from Keystone, and then that property abuts to the state hospital grounds. Oh, wow. So we would walk up there because we had underground huts and tree houses up there. Underground and, huts and tree oh, yeah. houses. And we would go up there and then we'd walk on the state hospital grounds. It was just a big woods, and what more do kids like than woods and cooks? Yeah. And, and it was open then? Yeah, yeah, it was open then, yes. So did you get to see patients walking Oh yeah, around? there was always patients, and there was one guy that always acted like he was lost, but wanted somebody to take him back, but he just wanted company. Aw. And so. He just kind of got used to seeing him, and him got used to seeing you. Mm -hmm. um, so do you have any memories of being at the Peoria State Hospital, or did you? Yeah, when I was, uh, I want to say, eighth grade or freshman in high school, I was an older boy at St. John's. Well, they opened the new, the St. Anthony's Church, that's up here on Skyway now. Its first church in Bartonville was the auditorium building in the state hospital grounds. Oh, wow. And Tom Johnson, my cousin, or distant cousin, and myself were the first altar boys at the first mass they had at St. Oh, wow. Anthony's Church. And I think Father Wellman, I believe, was the priest at the time then. Oh, my goodness. And so that church was at the auditorium? It was at the auditorium, which is now Lord's Table Church of God. Oh, okay. It went from being a church that we rented from the state hospital grounds or from the state. I think it was a the state they rented it from at that time because it was still an operating hospital. Ameren bought it. It was Silco at the time. They bought it for the command center. Oh, and wow. then uh, they, they closed that one when they built their new one downtown, I believe. And then it's had been a couple churches since then. So they weren't using the auditorium then in the late 60s? No, they had quit using it and we were using it, so. So you talked about going up in the woods when you were a kid. Do you have any other memories of being on the grounds? Uh, we always rode our bikes through there as kids, you know, so uh, they, they would let you in there. The, the patients, most of them were not, you know, it was called the Hospital for the Criminally Insane. Most of them, a lot of them were just people that checked themselves in because they needed to, had too much pressure or whatever, you know, and so they were just normal people as a rule. A lot of them were. So it was just part of the town. It, it was, was just part of the town. I mean, I had a paper out when I was little. A lot of my uh, customers were employees of the state hospital. Did you deliver to the state hospital? I did not deliver. I was down below the hill where I delivered, but they were a lot of my, like I say, a lot of my customers were uh, employees. Worked there. Nurses, aides, janitors, a little bit of everything. Well, being the mayor of Bartonville, do you have any ideas of how um, having that Peoria State Hospital here in town, how that benefited the town or oh, at the time? Oh, it benefited the town a lot because it was, you know, the economic impact of several hundred employees is, is huge. You know, you, it would be like taking a business and putting it in town now with 200 employees, you know, or 
whatever it was. I don't remember what the exact number of employees was, but it was fairly high. So, you know, you had a lot of spinoff economic uh, benefits from that. Yeah, people driving back and forth. And yep, gas, uh, restaurants, grocery stores. You know, because in those days, there was a grocery store right on the highway there. Oh, really? Yeah, right across kind of a, you know where Schindler's is at? If you, uh-huh. At McClure and Adams. And the, there was two houses, there was two houses and the little grocery store there. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Called Dick's Red Fox. Were there several little grocery well, stores? Well, there was that one, and then there was one at the corner of Garfield and Adams. Oh, wow. Right where the turn lane is now. That was Martin and Jarks. You know, years and years ago, there was one down where Hammers is now, the restaurant Hammers. Oh, really? In that area, yeah, that was uh, Heisel's grocery store, Fred Heitzel. That's cool. Yeah, that, that was kind of the thing back then was little grocery yeah, stores corn, everywhere. corner grocery stores, mm-hmm. yeah, family-owned. Yeah. Um, what did you think or do you remember what it was like when they announced it was closing? The oh, it was, a, it was a dirty deal, you know, because the governor running at that time promised that he was going to keep it open. They had a study, and he promised he was going to keep it open. And as soon as he got reelected in 72, he closed it. You know, just everybody, I mean, it brought him a lot of votes from this whole area. And then he closed it, and it was just everybody felt betrayed. Oh, wow. Because it, uh, it was a big loss to the village. Yeah. I bet. That would be a lot of people that yeah. lost their jobs. And yep. Wow. My goodness. Um, what kind of changes have you seen in Bartonville since then? Well, I mean, we've seen it took years, but we saw the hospital go really down as far as the state did nothing with it, and it sat there and deteriorated for years. Uh and because of the foresight of the mayor at that time, he, you know, put together a plan for us to buy it. I mean, it went through a couple of different owners. Uh, a guy named Tommy Horan bought it first, and he probably had the most genius plan. And he was going to reinstitute the powerhouse, reuse that powerhouse, and he was going to make it a self-sufficient little city of its own because it had gas, electric, you know, heat, everything in that powerhouse. It had the steam tunnels there. You know, and his idea was great, but at the problem, that's when the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, when interest rates were 20% and couldn't get bank loans because for things, for speculation, things like that. And so then he lost it and he paid like a million dollars for it and it ended up, and it ended up almost breaking him. And then the state bought it and then a guy named Carl Reardon bought it from East Peoria and he didn't succeed, and then that's when the village got it, and Mayor Yaley at the time saw some value in it, and he worked with a local developer, and they started tearing some of the bad buildings down, selling some of the new the buildings that were still usable, and I think one of the first ones was like Entech. They took one of the E buildings, and they you know they got a good deal, and it was a great deal for the village, it was a great deal for them. So, you know, and then, then it started, and then once it started, they made a TIF district out of it. And that was a perfect example of a TIF district, a blighted area that you could get back on the tax rolls. And that was the idea, and it, and it worked out well. Yeah, there's several businesses over there now. Oh, yeah, there's, I, I forget how many employees. There's probably well over 1,000 employees in the industrial park now. Um, do you have any memories that really stick out, anything about the Peoria State Hospital that no, I think the biggest memory is when we went to church there. It kind of let you know that there was people that needed help, and 
it gave you, I guess, something in your heart for those people, you know, so you wanted to help, so. And one of the things that we've learned from talking with all the different folks, we've interviewed a lot of folks that used to work there, and the one thing that we have learned is that um, Zeller had started it with compassion and that that compassion has stayed with it through all the employees all the way till closing. Yeah, and, and one of them was Doctor was Bill Becker. Becker was, a, it's Ray Becker's brother, actually. He was a psychologist there, and his wife Mary was the head of nursing there. And they're both past now. But I got to know him fairly well several years back, and and it was it was a it was in their heart, you know. They just they loved it and they did it for the people, you know. And it's it was neat to talk to people like that. He was kind of the reason we built that gazebo up there. Okay. And you know, I I still like that. There's things I'd like to do with that, but the tip district's closed now, so we don't have the extra cash. So. So the, the gazebo, as you drive up and down Pfeiffer there, yep. there's a gazebo and it's kind of a rolling, yep. kind of a park little area. Yep. So that gazebo was built after the state hospital? Oh, yeah, closed? we built that. The village built that. Okay. Yeah, we built that after we owned it. And Bill Becker had, and it might be in, it might be in the street department, he had, I believe, the George Zeller sign from Zeller Zone Center out in Peoria that they closed, too. Ah. And he always wanted to put that there. It might be in the street department garage or somewhere up the street department still. Really? Yeah. Oh, we'll have to look. <laughs> I'll be darned. That's pretty cool. Um, did you know anybody else that worked at the Peoria State Hospital? I knew a couple, like I said, ladies on my, there was people on my paper route, the Milstead sisters. I mean, there were two of them that I remember real well. Uh, well, and then we have a guy that works for the city right now, one of our part-time people. His dad was a doctor there. Oh, really? Andy Legospi's father was a doctor at oh, Billy wow. State Hospital. Um, is there anything that you would like people to know about the Peoria State Hospital? No, just that it was a center for helping people with mental disorders, and they did a lot of great work for a lot of years. It was a shame it was closed the way it was, but hopefully through the museum and that and your work here that people remember it fondly. For our final interview today, Fire Chief Mike Cheatham will talk about his experience with the Peoria State Hospital, featuring the extraordinary story of St. Jude's founder, Danny Thomas, and his visit to the Peoria State Hospital. Today we are talking with Fire Chief Mike Cheatham about the Peoria State Hospital and what it was like growing up in Bartonville when the hospital was open and, and operational. So, Mike, you are in the fire department now. I mean, you run the fire department here. Do you know anything about the fire department that was run at the Peoria State Hospital? I don't have a lot of information on that fire department, but it, it was uh, it, it is still standing, actually, the building that, that was the fire department still standing near the water tower. Which building is that? Um, it's the one where the museum was for a while. Okay. It was in, it, the fire department was actually in that building. So it's uh, at the end after the uh, workout area. Okay. It's, it's the next building over. Okay. Right? Kind of so, tall brick. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's where the fire department was. I did not know that. And, and my brother actually has the chief's fire helmet. He bought it online. Really? 
Wow. That's pretty cool. You know, that, he found it online and, and snatched it up at the time. Good for so. him. Wow, that's pretty cool. Does he wear it in the parades? No, <laughs> I don't think he's ever wore it in parades. He him. does have an old fire truck, though. That... That, I knew you had said that. All right, well, what do you remember growing up here as a kid? What do you remember about the Peoria State Hospital? The State Hospital was a, uh, had a lot of employees. Actually, the uh, two doctors that worked there, I, I actually own their, their home. That's where I live. And uh, they were psychi um, psychiatrists that uh, worked at the state hospital. Do you remember their names? Goldsmiths. I don't remember their first names, but that was their last name was Goldsmith. We interviewed Dr. Flanagan and Dr. Ward, and I think Flanagan was a psychologist or psychiatrist. So, but I, I just curious if it happened to be the same person. They were they were German, and uh, they spoke English, but it was you know somewhat broken. But uh, uh, I remember. I took care of their lawn. Didn't get paid very much for taking care of the lawn back then. But, uh, um, you know, they, they were uh, nice people. And they, as, as I got older, I remember talking to them about the care of patients and things like that. And, and uh, they, at the time, were still using electric shock in some cases with the, uh, with the patients. Mm -hmm. yep, and they still use it today. So there is a benefit for it, and um, I think a lot of that is misrepresented sometimes. That they think that it's done out of cruelty, but um, we have learned through the podcast, talking with the doctors, that they they do it, and it's it's still effective today for some forms of treatment. So there's a lot of supernatural talk. There's a lot of you know the darker side of how things could have been, and and I think what we have learned from this is that we. It's, that wasn't the case at all. I mean, there was things that were done out of medical practice, but it's been um, for the benefit of the people and not not as nefarious as what it might sound. <laughs> yes. But the state hospital was a, was a huge employer in the, in the area, and uh, um, my mom uh, was, took her nurse's training. She was a registered nurse, and she took her training at Methodist, and as a registered nurse, you had to spend a certain amount of time in the state hospital. And I'm sorry, I don't know how much time she had to serve there uh, as, a, uh, as a nurse in, in the state hospital. But the nurses were required to uh, put in some time at the state, state facility also. So I remember speaking about that. My dad uh, actually played uh, church baseball on a... Uh, if I remember right, they had at least a couple diamonds there oh, on really? the on the property. Okay. And um, I remember going there for a, a couple games and um, watching those those games there. They had benches out there, and uh, the patients would come out and sit on those benches and uh, uh, watch the game. And uh, so it was it was it was a little bit different. Uh, the the area. The Ricketts had a fence that was about four feet high, about like you'd have in a backyard of a, of a house. Uh, it had a fence along Ricketts, and there'd be patients walking along inside the fence and, and stuff like that, walking the property, getting some exercise and things like that. So, you know, as you went by, you just, as a, as a young man, and, and we were probably talking about uh, maybe 13 years old or so, you, you kind of, it was just a place you just kind of looked at and, 
and wondered what was going on in there. But, you could just kind of tell it was there was something there. Well, you knew it was called the state hospital, but yeah. Uh, yeah, you didn't know really what was what was going on at that time. They actually uh, had their own powerhouse on the uh, on the grounds, and uh, they at least generated steam. I'm not sure if they generated electricity there, but they made steam there, and then the steam was was. Uh, transported to their facilities, the buildings, uh, in tunnels, tunnels which some still exist today. And with the fire department, uh, sometimes we're asked to go down in those tunnels uh, as a confined space and uh, uh, look at, at something that they see going on up above to see if there's potential collapse and things mm. like that down there. So we do that for the engineering wow. department for Bartonville, if, if they ask and it's safe. That's interesting. But the tunnels still exist today, and as you know, it, probably back 20 years ago, kids would try to sneak into the state hospital and see if they could get back in those tunnels. And there's asbestos in some of them and things like that. They they shouldn't be getting in those tunnels. But I think most of them are closed up now without uh, special access. Uh, I do I do remember as a as a young child, uh, they had a siren there. And uh, we were told that when that siren would go off, and it wasn't, it wasn't something that went off a lot. At the time, the village of Bartonville was using fire sirens to notify the fire departments of a call. But this was a different type of siren. And, and uh, what we were told as a child that was when that siren went off, somebody had left the ground so that they would gather together and, and search for these people. Uh, there were... There was... Uh, steps that would lead you down to Route 24. Uh, so sometimes patients would take off and go down in that area and, and end up down in Route 24. They would have to go get them, and everybody would be looking for them. Uh, I did have an uncle that was, uh, was a patient there. Uh, this uncle was an alcoholic and, and uh, was placed there because he couldn't, couldn't control, control his, his uh, drinking. And, uh, you know, I remember, uh, you know, there were holidays that we would uh, um, bring him to our house for, for uh, dinners and things like that. Um, but I think there was a lot of patients that were there because of that type of problem. Um, you know, when, when my dad would play church baseball there, he'd come out and watch the games and stuff like that. So, um, Is there anything that you could think of that people maybe wouldn't know about the Peoria State Hospital or the grounds or? Christina probably told you about Danny Thomas coming in. I don't in. think so. Danny Thomas, as, as I understand the story told by Jim Maloof, but he told the story that, that uh, Danny Thomas was going to be coming to Peoria. And a doctor from the hospital had called uh, Jim Maloof and said, you know, I understand Danny Thomas is coming to town. He said, yes, he's coming to town. He said, I really think it'd be nice if he could come to the Peoria State Hospital. And Jim Lewis goes, uh, I don't know. I don't know. And he said, well, it'd be really great for the patients if he could do that. So Jim Maloof then called uh, Danny Thomas's people, and they uh, they said they didn't think so. But Jim Maloof kept on him, and he said, well, isn't he mine when he's here? And they go, yes, he's yours. And he said, okay, I'll take it from there. So he picked him up at the Pier Marquette and uh, 
Danny Thomas got in the car. He said, where are we going? And, and Jim Maloof changed the subject, started driving towards Bartonville, and twice more, Danny Thomas asked that question, and Jim Maloof kept changing the subject. And so they were on their way up Garfield, and finally, Danny Thomas says, pull the car over. You know, where are we going? And so then Jim Maloof told him, and he said, okay, I just want to be prepared, you know, when I get there. So he got there, and, and Jim Maloof tells this story. They had a piano out on the, here again, we're at the Ball Diamonds, and they had cars pulled in all, all around, around mm -hmm. this area. And um, patients were out there, uh, and Danny Thomas uh, came out. Probably, I don't know if he said they had a sound system, but I doubt if they did. At a Ball Diamond, they wouldn't have electricity. But, but uh, so he, he sang a song, and there was a, a voice from the crowd that was yelling Danny Thomas's name. And, and so he questioned where it came from, and, and a nurse raised her hand, and it was a small boy in a wheelchair. And so Danny Thomas went down to, the, to this boy, and, and uh, this boy asked if, if, it, if it was Danny Thomas. He said, yeah, it's me. And, and so he took the boy's hand and put it on his face and stuff. He was blind. This boy was blind. I'm sorry, I left that part out. And uh, to make a long story short, this boy had saved his candy money. And he kept this candy money. He had 75 cents, I believe. And he had it in an envelope. And he wanted to give that to Danny Thomas because he heard he was going to build a hospital for kids. Oh, wow. And so Danny Thomas started crying. And uh, so he picked this boy up, carried him up, and uh, sat him on the piano and, and sang by him and stuff like that. Well, as Jim Maloof tells the story, Danny Thomas then took that envelope and went around the world and made millions of dollars for St. Jude telling the story about this kid's 75 cents. And today it's supposed to be in the cornerstone of the St. Jude building in Memphis. Wow. So, And it all started right here in Bartonville. Well, Danny Thomas was in the process of, of building, you know, he was building this thing for, for kids with cancer. And he went to state hospital, and that's where this kid gave him that money. And oh, then, he, wow. then he told the story and wow. made all that money for St. Jude. Thank you so much for joining us for this limited series podcast on the history of the Peoria State Hospital. Join us next week for the final episode, which will contain a behind-the-scenes discussion with the voices behind Stories from the Bowen Building. Stories from the Bowen Building is sponsored and funded by the American Library Association's American Rescue Plan, Humanities Grants for Libraries. The funding for the grant was provided by the National Endowment for the Humanities through the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021.